This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Julia Jacobs. An environmental impact assessment report for a new airport on Pulau Tioman has been submitted and is currently on display for the public for about 30 days. The plans include 141.6 hectares of reclamation, moving corals and quarrying. Pulau Tioman is known for its beautiful beaches and the island hosts three related marine ecosystems, coral reefs, seagrass beds and mangroves. Visitors head to Tioman in search of nature-related adventures and tourism on islands has huge economic impact and importance. But locals, environmentalists and conservationists are concerned with this proposed new international airport as they believe it will not only destroy the ecosystems there, but also that the existing social infrastructure is insufficient for the increased tourist numbers that will come with the new airport. So should we be investing in large-scale tourism infrastructure in this current environment or should we be looking long-term and preparing our tourism destinations, destinations for a different reality, small groups, authentic experiences perhaps some peace and quiet. I'm going to discuss this and more with Julian Hyde. He is the General Manager of Reef Check Malaysia. He joins me now in the studio. Welcome, Julian. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. So nice to have you back in the studio here, Julian. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Our series Biodiversity from Malaysia, a whole year we did it over Zoom, but it's lovely to see you back here. <laughs> uh, just a shout out to that series that we did uh, last year. But Julian, of course, you know, um, you know, you are the general manager of Reef Check, as I mentioned. And uh, But I know prior to joining Reef Check, uh, you actually ran a dive site, right? In, in Pulau Tioman, am I right? I did. I, I lived on the island for six years. I lived the dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, lived on the beach did all of that, had a wonderful time uh, and then the real world intervened, unfortunately, <laughs> but you know, that's the way it goes. Yeah, so six years I ran a dive centre on Tekek uh, and the work I do now is recheck. I, we still have a relationship with the island. We have a team of people on the island working with the local community, uh, doing conservation programmes. Uh, I still have friends out there. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yes, we have a very close connection with the island. And, you know, in many of our previous conversations, uh, you know, you've always told me, and you've also written about this, you know, you say that Tioman is a jewel among Malaysian islands, isn't it? Can you just remind us why? It's got several species that are endemic to the island, right? So not found anywhere else. It's got uh, world-known uh, rock formations, rock climbing. The, fo- it, the island goes up to a thousand metres high. It's got untouched rainforest that's just on the island right and around the island you've got amazing coral reefs probably the healthiest in uh, peninsular malaysia um and that's based on data from annual surveys you know we don't make this stuff up it's it's based on data so yes it's uh, it's tremendously it, it's it's a beautiful island it's a very attractive island it's got lots of lovely nature for people to see uh birds butterflies people go there go looking at these things as well but it's also important by biodiversity terms. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's a beautiful tourist attraction. But in this day and age when we're increasingly recognizing how important biodiversity is to our everyday lives, we are concerned about, you know, how the island is going to fare in future years with further development, maybe the airport, definitely future, more resorts and so on. Uh, Where do we find the balance between the economic development imperative but the increasingly important understanding of protecting biodiversity? Mm -hmm. And 
I just want to quickly talk about uh, Reef, Check, Reef Checks program there. So that's Chinta Itioman, right? And that's something, an initiative that you started back in 2014. Uh, I, rem- I do remember you saying that it's a long-term community-based program. It was the first in Malaysia, am I right? I mean, can you just remind us about the work that you were doing, uh, the, the work that you are doing through that program? So, yeah, um, we now have a team of 80 local guys trained up, guys and girls, mm-hmm. uh, trained up to do a whole variety of conservation programs so they do ghost net removals uh goodness knows i I should have checked the figures but tons and tons of ghost nets removed from the islands reefs every year and a ghost net for those that don't know is a fishing net from a trawler or a smaller fishing boat that gets broken gets somehow released uh, abandoned floats around in the ocean for a while um, and if it's anywhere near an island like Tim and it's going to get stuck on the reefs Mm -hmm. and we call them ghost nets because they keep on fishing whether or not they are attached to a boat so you find turtles stuck in them you find sharks stuck in them reef fish get stuck in them because they hook onto the reef and they stay there Mm -hmm. uh, and they can do tremendous damage uh, over a long period of time so we now have a great system on the island where the dive operators and, and other tourism operators are telling us when they see a net and then we will mobilize a team from TMCG, the TM Marine Conservation Group, and they will go and take it out of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's one of the conservation programs. And the benefit of that is that you get, yes, you take the net out, but we're also engaging the local community in conservation on their own island. Um, we're paying them for it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when they come and help us, they get paid. So it's an additional source of revenue. Uh, they also do crown of thorns removals. Crown of thorns is a coral predator, so it can you know, do a lot of damage to reefs. They're doing reef rehabilitation programs. Uh, the team is also doing the annual coral reef monitoring survey around the island. So last time uh, we used to bring volunteers in from outside. Uh, and, you know, it's okay. We do the data, but it's a bunch of outsiders telling the locals what's happening. Uh-huh. Now it's the community themselves. They're doing the monitoring and they're looking at their reefs and saying, hmm, something going wrong here. Mm-hmm. And that message coming from peer-to-peer on the island is way stronger than someone like me telling them. So the, the, the importance of the local community participation is we, we're recognizing that increasingly. It was enshrined in the recent Convention on Biodiversity, which was signed last year. So that's what the local team is doing. Okay. Um, and uh, like I said, we've got a team in each of the seven villages now. So coverage around the island. Yeah. That, and that's ongoing. That's mm-hmm. that's happening now. And I wanted to bring that up because, of course, you know, I wanted to, sh- uh, you know, our listeners to know that you've been working there long term, and you have, of course, you know, seen changes to the island as well, right? And some impacts as well. Um, anything that perhaps you think our listeners should know about? One thing I was surprised at recently was uh, is the number of resorts. When when I lived on the island, it was roughly held that there were about sixty plus resorts, and according to new figures now, there's over a hundred. Um, and I'm not, I'm not quite sure where they are because at the moment, if I go back to Tierman, to be perfectly honest, it looks pretty much like it did the first time I visited about 30 years ago. Okay. Uh, there's not much change to the skyline. Uh, there's not much change to the buildings that you can see from, from the ferry as you approach the island. So there are small scale resorts on there and mainly they're kind of hidden in the jungle because it's like, hey, how do we build a resort on this beautiful island and make sure that people want to see it? Let's make it pretty much invisible. Mm. That's sort of sustainable tourism we're very supportive of. Um, but yes, just going back to the question, 2014 was when we started. We started training people up and the group got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, the, the, you know, the reef data are showing that the reefs are improving. Uh, the conversations with the locals are saying that they're understanding more what the marine protected area is for, why there's a marine park, that you know, they buy into that as well. So you get better compliance with the regulations and you know, there's all sorts of on-benefits from that. Um, 
And there is a better relationship now between some, in some ways, between the, the, the locals and the tour operators and the locals and the marine park uh, officials. So lots of benefits to bringing people in. But mm-hmm. yeah, we've been doing it since... 2014. Mm -hmm. So it is a long-term thing. Exactly. And I do also want to just quickly, for anyone who's not uh, familiar with what a marine park status actually means, right? I mean, what does that mean for Tioman Island? So uh, Tioman, the marine park, is, think of it like a donut. It's a donut around the island which stretches from the Shlomar watermark out to two two nautical miles, which is about four kilometres, more more or less. And that area is what we call a no-take zone. So there's no fishing allowed, not allowed to collect corals, even broken ones, because they become part of the habitat in their own way. Shells, seashells, likewise. So it's meant to reduce the impacts to the reefs from extraction. Okay. All right. And People go there for diving. People go there for snorkeling. Am I, I'm, I'm right in saying I've never been yeah. there, unfortunately. It is a beautiful dive site. I mean, people go there and it's it's quite a journey to get there, right? Uh, and, and it's worth it because it's pristine. It's untouched. Am I right in saying that? It is largely pristine and largely untouched. Um, it is a pain to get there. Uh, which is, hey, let's talk about the airport, right? Yeah, how how yeah. can we get people there more easily? But uh, yes, um, the island is... Most, I, I've just described the terrestrial features of the island, yeah. but there's actually very little terrestrial tourism. Correct. There are some jungle walks, but most people go there to dive or to snorkel. Uh, and so we need to look after those those assets, which is what the marine protected area is supposed to do, and, and largely does. I mean, the islands up and down the east coast are all uh, marine parks. Uh, and some spots on the West Coast as well. And, you know, the, some of the data shows that the reefs inside the marine parks are in better condition than reefs outside the marine parks. So there's some justification for it. All right. OK. Um, and I, OK, let's just go for a quick break, Julie. When we come back, let's talk about, you know, this new airport, uh, what it might mean to, you know, everything that you just described <laughs> to us. I'm speaking today to Julian Hyde. He's the general manager of ReefCheck Malaysia. We're talking about the new proposed international airport uh, for Pulau Tioman. The EIA has been submitted and is currently on display for the public. Uh, we're going to talk about some of what the plans are and how that's going to impact the island after this quick break. Keep it right here on Earth Matters. On The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. In the studio with me today, Julian Hyde. He is the General Manager of ReefCheck Malaysia. We are talking about Pulau Tioman today, but we're also talking about a new proposed international airport that is, um, yeah, that's on the cards potentially for the island. Uh, the EIA has been submitted for review. It's currently on display to the public for about, well, I think it's 30 days, but it came out about last week, right, Julian? Some, Correct. Somewhere yes. around there. Yeah, yeah. So we want to talk about, you know, what impact this international airport is going to have on the island. So before the break, Julian, of course, you know, you were explaining the amazing biodiversity there, you know, how it's uh, the capacity there, you know, what the people, what people like to go there for, right? You know, sort of like small scale tourism, but, uh, you know, really um, unmatched, right, in terms of like what you can do there uh, because it's so it's so well protected. It's a marine park status and yep. it's really quite beautiful. Yep. And the development there has been kept in check. Um, I want to ask you, though, about the management uh, of the island um, because, I mean, we do know tourism, of course, impacts uh, ecosystems, right? Because of the activities, right? That's often focused, uh, concentrated on these sensitive sites. Um, do you, would you say that, you know, the effects of tourism are disproportionately concentrated on these sites and dependent on them being sustained? Oh, that's a really complicated topic. Um, there's, a concept, there's a concept called carrying capacity, okay. uh, which talks about how many people uh, an ecosystem can sustain. Um, 
It, it, it's not a great measure because it, it, it's, it's based on some false assumptions, but it's, it's a starting point. So we might say that an island like Tierman can sustain, let's say, 250,000 visitors a year. There, there, are, there are ways to calculate this. Uh, there's an alternative called limits of acceptable change, which is, is another way of looking at the same thing. We don't actually have a study for Tierman that says the island can manage this number of people. Mm. And the challenge is, of course, that if you take a static picture of the island today and say, okay, we've got 100 resorts and this number of restaurants and, and so on and so on, that's the physical infrastructure. Okay, and then we say, right, we can say that this number of people wouldn't in those rooms uh, and then we can say that they would have X number of boat trips and so on and so forth and use the, use the island services. And we can come to a, a number that says, yeah, about this number of people won't do too much damage to the ecosystem, so it's sustainable. Mm-hmm. But we don't have those numbers. And without those numbers, it's kind of difficult to to say how many there should be. And f- um, more, if you add numbers of resorts, then the carrying capacity changes because right. well, physically you can hand, make, take more people. But what is the impact of those people on the ecosystems? Because there is not an increase in number of snorkeling sites, for example, or number of dive sites. So you could go from 250,000 visitors today, which is about the number, more or less, and you say, well, let's, let's have 500,000 people on the island. But there's still only 34 dive sites. There's still only so much physical space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, more people will get concentrated onto the same small number of ecosystems, the small, same small number of reefs. And if nothing else, it gets crowded. You know, yeah. Go to Tierman on a busy day, right? Um, and you will, you will get to a dive site. You'll rock up on a boat to a dive site full of 8, 10, 12 divers. And, oh, there's already four dive boats there. Yeah. Right, you're going in the water, and you there's people over here, there's people over there, there's people everywhere. Go on a quiet day, you'll be the only person there. So, what's the carrying capacity? One boat of twelve people, or five boats of twelve people? Mm-hmm. It's going to be somewhere in there. But unless we know, unless we do the studies to say we can actually only manage, let's say, two boats, um, we are at risk of extending the of 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 overextending the the capacity of the island to and the ecosystems to manage to withstand to be resilient to that number of people mm-hmm. you know two boats instead of five boats quite a big difference yeah. but we just don't know okay which, of course, brings us to this this proposed new airport, right? Because, of course, you know, the, the argument is like, okay, you know, we need to balance the economic side with the environment side, uh, but we do need new infrastructure, right? Uh, and that's often initiated as a response to, I guess, realised tourism arrivals, isn't it? So let's talk about this proposed new airport. So let's maybe we can just go back in time a little bit. Um, I do know that plans to build this uh, actually emerged, I think it was back in 2003. Um, construction was scheduled in 2004, but and, and this was on reclaimed land, right? Um, uh, but then, I think it was in 2009, the then Transport Minister, Datuk Sri Ong Tikiat, called off the project, right? Can you just remind us about the history of this? The history of this goes back even further. For the first time I visited Tim in 1995, mm, uh, okay. people were talking about it. When I moved to the island in 2000, people were talking about it. So it's been around for a long time. Mm. And it's been through different phases. It's been on, it's been off, it's been on, it's been off. There was that serious uh, interruption on uh, back in, I think, 2009 when you said, when, when, in, when a decision was taken that, no, this is going to be too damaging. And yet the process has continued because that's the way that the environmental impact assessment process works. You do an assessment and you say, these are going to be the impacts Mm -hmm. uh, and these are going to be the mitigations that you're going to have to do. And it's like, once you've signed off on that, it's like, oh, okay, well, the project's a go. So I think we need to look at this from a slightly broader perspective. It's like, look, we can, I, I could build an airport outside your office 
and it would have certain impacts on the local community here, like their houses would be gone. Um, and we could mitigate that by building a nice big block of apartments further away. Uh, and we, so we've mitigated it. Those homeless people are no longer homeless. They've been given a home. Okay, fine. That sounds fair. But what about the other impacts? You know, that airport is going to be noise. So everybody else living around this area mm-hmm. is, going to be, is going to be affected. It's going to bring more traffic. So people living elsewhere is going to be uh, affected. So if we apply some of those ideas to the island, okay, build an airport, fine. Uh, it's going to affect the two villages where the airport is going to be located. There's no question about that. And there will be some damage to ecosystems where the airport is going to be constructed got it can we impact can, can we mitigate those things well we can compensate the villagers we can move the corals and all, all of these things are part of the the impact assessment and and as far as it goes that is a that's a little box you put that around and say we've seen the impacts we've done the mitigation and it's the best we can do mm-hmm. all right but what about then the aftermath of the construction of the airport and I think that's one area that when, when Dato Ong said this about the airport and said it's, it can't go ahead, I think he was talking about these bigger impacts. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the things that perhaps haven't been considered enough. Yes, the impact on the airport, of the airport, on the ecosystems immediately next to it and the communities is known quantity and some of that can be mitigated. But what about the future? Um, you know, when, when we're starting to say, well, now the airplanes are starting to come in and where are all those people going to stay? So... It's had this complex history of, of being on and being off and being on and being I think we had this conversation last in 2019, 2020, just pre-COVID anyway, yeah. uh, when, when the whole thing came up again. Um, and, it, it's, and it's still there. So, yes, we've seen the impact assessment for the airport, but have we looked at the questions that Dato Ong was uh, raising about the other impacts of this development? How much have those been studied and, and what are we going to do about those bigger impacts? Mm-hmm. But okay, let's just let's just uh, you know let our listeners know what the what are the sort of impacts that just the construction of this airport will be. So it's going to be on reclaimed land, am I correct? And they need to uh, bring that uh, uh, land with the sand from somewhere as well. <laughs> they need um, to bring the land. Bring yes, this land. <laughs> yes, it will be it will be built on on reclaimed land. Yeah, uh, most of it. Okay. Uh, there's a bit of so that one end of the runway. Uh, it goes on to the island itself, okay. but, but I think 75% of it is going to be on reclaimed land. Uh, this is all in the EIA. This is a publicly available document. Um, so 75% of it will be reclaimed land. So that land, as you say, sand, will be dredged elsewhere, coastline of Quarantan, for example, and then will be shipped to the island and then dumped into the water. So whatever's down there right now will be smothered in sand. Okay, what's down there? The EIA shows that there are some corals in that area. Is it dense coral? No. Is it incredibly healthy coral? No. Is it the best dive site in Tierman? No, none of the above. Do we need it? Well, you could make an argument biologically that it's part of the connectivity of reefs around the island. Mm. Uh, Do we want development on the island? And let me just say this right here. We are not anti-development. We are not anti-tourism. But it's can we ask ourselves a little bit more carefully about the impacts of this tourism? What's going to happen to the people on the island, the biodiversity on the island? So that we, yeah, we accept tourism, but let's just be careful about how we develop it. Let's not just go wholesale mass tourism with lots of numbers of people and massive numbers of resorts. 
but that's a, a second, another part of the conversation. So yes, there are there are reefs there. Uh, the EIA reports suggest that the mitigation will be to move those reefs somewhere else, those corals. So you can pick up the coral colony and move them. Mm, questionable about how much will survive, but it physically can be done. So whatever's underneath the rain, the runway can be moved. That that is movable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how you mitigate that. Um, and we, you know, l- let's look at the studies about moving corals, moving whole reefs. How? What's the survivability? What do we need to do to make sure that they do survive in terms of monitoring and maintenance and so on? Um, yeah. And of course, they're talking about cutting down a hillside. So there's going to be trees and, you know, the various fauna, fauna and flora are in there. So that's another physical impact of the project. Um, so we're going to see some landfilling, we're going to see land reclamation, we're going to see some uh, dynamiting and, and removing of part of the, the, the headland between these two beaches. Um, those are the big impacts. Uh, socially and economically, the the two villages there will basically, one of them, Genting, will be facing a, an airport, a, a runway, sorry. So as you look out from the beach, there'll be a runway in front of you, you know, a couple of hundred yards off the off the beach. Gosh. The next village, uh, Paya, won't be as much affected as, again, you can see on the EIA study, the, the airport... Uh, cuts across the headland and goes a little bit into where Paya Bay is. So there'll be some impacts, but it'll be less. Mm-hmm. But some of those businesses will have to move. Uh, some of those, the people living there might want to move. So what are those social impacts? What are the uh, impacts of that on their economies, on, on their on their uh, livelihoods? Right. Um, all of those things need to be considered in the first stage, which is the construction of the airport. Okay. All right. Have they been studied in depth? Do we understand it? Have the locals had true... In, you know, are they really informed of what's going to happen? Do they really? Is there full, prior and informed consent, as the, as the environmentalists would say? Yeah. Um, let's have a conversation about that. Okay, and I do also want to talk about you know the current uh, the facilities there currently because I know I do know like you know uh, waste management is always an issue on islands right waste management uh, sewage uh, even electricity and running water and things like that right I mean how would an increased capacity because uh, this airport what wants to increase the visitors by what fourfold am I did I get They've that right projected that it could be as much as fourfold fourfold yeah. right so yeah. I mean can the island actually uh, cope with that. <laughs> Again, carrying capacity, limits of acceptable change. Um, we do know that right now there are times when there's a dry season that there isn't enough water. Mm. Uh, and so you're going to a resort, a tourism resort on a beautiful island, and you can't flush the toilet or have a shower when you come out of the sea. Mm. Not mm. great. Uh, electricity supply can be interrupted again You know, as, uh, during, during difficult periods. There is an incinerator on the island, but its capacity is limited. And I was just reading a document from the UNDP. Is it actually the right solution for the island? So there are challenges with the physical infrastructure. There's only about four kilometres of road from one of the big resorts through to the Marine Park Centre. So that runs through the main village, Mm Tekek. That's about it. So if you go to ABC, you go to Salang, you go down the south, you go over to Juara, you're on little little narrow concrete tracks, you know, very, very undeveloped. Um, But if we want to connect the airport to the main village, we've got to build about three or four kilometres of road through undisturbed forest. There's, there's nothing there right now. There's a couple of tracks through the jungle, but I don't call that a road. Mm. So how are we going to connect it? And when's that going to be built? And how many trees are going to be cut down? And, you know, how are they going to manage the siltation flow from that? So once again, you build an airport. And that's fine. That's one set of impacts. But, you know, what what's going to happen next? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, these questions, we, we don't have answers to them. 
We don't have answers to this one, but I mean, perhaps there are some, I don't know, regional comparisons that we can uh, look to, you know, for the impact of sort of like unmanaged uh, tourism growth. Any any examples you can think of? Myriad. Um, if you if you Google impact of tourism growth or you know any similar term, there are many examples. There are examples from Malaysia. You look at, uh, I've seen studies on Prentium, for example. I've seen studies about Langkawi. You see studies, uh, there's one on Pankor. Uh, and then regionally, you've got uh, Phuket, uh, you've got Koh Samui, um, and, and, and many more. And they, they, on balance, they all kind of say the same thing. They all recognize the economic benefits from growth in tourism. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they all talk about the negative impacts on on societies and on environment. Um, one of my favorite examples is uh, Koh Samui, which I visited many, many years ago, um, <laughs> which at the time was relatively unbe- undeveloped, but it just had a new airport built. And it remained undeveloped for a while, and then it just got more and more and more developed. And a colleague of mine who works in Thailand basically says all of the nearshore ecosystems now are, are, are gone. Right, there's, 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 they're not there. So, 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 Kosamui now is a nice place to go and sit on the beach with thousands of other people and look at the sea. But there's not really a lot to see in the sea. Mm-hmm. It's being it's been damaged. So again, development. Okay, I get it. Build an airport, bring more people. But then, what are the impacts of that going to be in in the future? So, um, there are examples we can use, and you can use those examples in both ways. Like I said, they support the economic benefits of the airport. But then they talk about the negative impacts on society and environment. How do we balance those two things so that it's fair to the national economy, so that it's fair to the corporations involved, so that it's fair to the people living on the islands and to the tourists going to see the island? What sort of tourism do we want? So like you said, you're not against development, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean the bigger, the best, the bigger means better, right? That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for what we always call sustainable tourism, right? And a sustainable holiday. And I remember us speaking about this as well. That is something that more and more travellers are seeking, you know, as they have more, uh, I guess, knowledge about the climate crisis, more knowledge about biodiversity loss and the biodiversity crisis. Um, I guess, you know, what would you say... Uh, yeah, what would you like to see, La Julian, actually? <laughs> Just to put it simply. <laughs> what would I like to see? Yeah. Tiamen is, is a beautiful island mm. and, and I would like tourists to come to it and see it and experience it, but not have an impact on it. Now, that's more or less impossible. One of the things with tourism is that just going to an island has impacts, right? Um, let's be very specific. You drove to Mersing in your car, carbon emissions. Mm. You get a boat from there to the island, carbon emissions. Already you've had an impact. Now you're going to go and stay on the island. Okay, let's say the concrete building you stay on, the wooden building you stay that's already built. So there's no carbon emissions from that being there. But sewage, wastewater, what, how are those being managed? Each So everything you do has that impact. Now, I don't like to be down on tourism because I have been a tourist myself. I get it. Um, but what are the, what, what, how can we minimize all of these impacts? Do we want to build five-story concrete hotels on, on Tierman? Not really, uh, I think, would be the answer to that because it's the amount of damage that brings to the environment. You know, you again, you're cutting hill slopes. Tim is a very hilly island, so whatever we build on it, it's going to be on a slope. Um, can we just scatter chalets all along the coastline of the islands, just bury them in the in the trees? Uh, I don't know. Let, let's have a look at that. There are a couple of resorts on the island which are already like that. They are true eco-resorts and you can barely see them as you pass by on the boats. That's what I'd like to see. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a mass tourism market? Not really, no. Uh, do we want mass tourism? Mm, there's a question we need to ask ourselves. Thailand used to be known as the destination for sun, sea, and sand, 
right? It was the beach holiday destination for many, many Europeans. They have now pivoted their tourism towards uh, biotourism, right? Okay. They're talking about selling their biodiversity to tourists. They want green tourism. They want smaller numbers. They want it more manageable because the people are saying we've had enough, mm. right? Um, we, uh, the Philippines is doing the same. Indonesia is, is talking about doing the same. What's our trajectory? Where are we going with this? Because this, it's higher value tourism. It can be higher value tourism. It's definitely lower impact, Um and, and I think we should be thinking about the impact on the communities. I, I went to Tiamat at the end of 2021. So we'd had two years of COVID, right? Yeah. Right towards the end of the year when, the, when tourism was starting to open up again. But two years of no business on the island. I was expecting people to be despondent. Oh, we got no money. We got no business. And I arrive and everybody's like, hi, smiling. I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. I talked to a friend of mine who runs a small resort there. And she's, forgive the racial stereotype, she's Chinese. She's very money-minded. <laughs> And I was expecting her to be tearing her hair out. I've got no business, I've got no customers. She's happy as everybody. Why? Because they got their island back. Mm. Because there were no tourists. Because they were able to enjoy their island for the very reasons that everybody else comes. Mm -hmm. uh, a colleague told me that the families were going across to the other islands, the smaller islands, taking their boats out, taking the family, having a day out, having a barbecue, maybe stay on the beach overnight. So the locals were doing all the things that tourists do. And that's after two years of no business. Yeah, times were hard. The economy, they were hit economically, definitely. But it was much more fun living on the island because there were so few people there. Mm. So can we manage to envisage a tourism industry where the numbers are smaller, but the revenue is the same because we're charging them more for a much higher value product? Um, Who's having that conversation? And to do that, do we need such a big airport? There is a landing strip on the island. We've been through this conversation before. Uh, it's only small. It's going to be very difficult to extend it. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you start to ask these questions and say, well, if we're going for a lower number of tourists, how does this infrastructure fit into that picture? Um, yeah, build the airport. But where are you going to put the people? How sustainable is that going to be in, in the long term? And what sort of experience are visitors going to have, you know, with that crowd? Because you're going, I mean, we have many mass tourist uh, islands that we can uh, sort of visit in Malaysia already, right? So we should, I don't know, I feel this is my opinion, that we should be protecting the ones that we have, uh, you know, and make it difficult to go to. And, you know, because you want to go and experience that, those very ecosystems and culture that we are protecting, isn't it? So, yes. So as a conservation practitioner, I call myself that, mm -hmm. um, what I'm about to say is going to upset a lot of people. There are some places which are already degraded, which we should sacrifice and continue to use as mass tourism destinations in order that we can pre protect the pristine places. Okay. okay, so now that everybody's finished sticking daggers in me for saying that, <laughs> let's be a bit more practicable. Do we want to turn Tiamen into another Langkawi, right? an island where most of the trees have gone it, it, the, the marine ecosystem is not great to look at. You know, the tourism there is not marine tourism. It's all terrestrial. Is that where we want to go? Or do we want to take a step back and say, well, what do we want to do with Tim? And, and you, you know, with the bigger picture, um, how do, what about protecting its biodiversity simply because we need to, mm. right? How much economic value does that biodiversity have, right? Can we put a value on an acre of seagrass meadow yeah, we can actually. Increasingly, we're able to do that. Carbon storage in trees and in and marine ecosystems. These things have value. There's a there's a, a task force on nature-related financial disclosures is looking into the impacts of businesses on 
ecosystems, on nature. And before too long, there's going to be a market for biodiversity credits. So we can say, we will protect the biodiversity on Tierman and companies will pay to do that. So that's a source of revenue. So hang on a minute, we're going to make money out of tourism, but if we destroy the island, tourists won't come and there won't be any biodiversity to get credits for. So let's put that into the equation as well. Build an airport. But then where does the tourism go? How does that market evolve? And how does it affect our future revenues from biodiversity credits, for example? Mm -hmm. Not to mention the ecosystem services we get, you know, produces food, uh, regulates the climate, uh, you know, climate change. Hello, there's a heat wave going on. Mm -hmm. So do we want to continue cutting down all of our forests and uh, all of that that's going on and damaging that biodiversity, which is the basis of our lives, our very existence? Well, that was a bit philosophical, but, you know, it's there (laughs) somewhere. It's in the mix. Uh, Julian, everything you say makes complete sense. Uh, to me, of course, uh, sadly, I guess, you know, but I mean, okay, so let's talk about this EIA, right? So it's the second schedule of the EIA uh, for this development it has been made public. What can the public do? Can they view it? Can they uh, can they respond to it? Uh, anything yes. like that? Yeah. So this is a public consultation period as required in the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it goes on to, until towards the end of July. <clears throat> You can go online. I don't have the link, but it's on our social media. Okay. Uh, you can find the documents online and you can also find a form where you can submit comments. Okay. Um, so uh, anybody that wants to can read through the EIA. They can look at what the EIA is saying. So ah, I'm not sure about this bit. That needs a bit of clarifying. Uh, the the the. The, um, the all of the data about the flights and so on, all of the data about the size of this thing, the length of the runway, how much will be landfilled, how many millions of tons of rock they're going to have, that's all in the EI. It's a public document. So if you think there's something wrong with it, then go have a look. Don't just go and say, oh, I disagree with the idea of an airport. That's not good enough. We don't need that. We need a more nuanced and sensible response. We need people to look at it and say, I question that number there. I question the approach that's being taken here. I So so be specific. So have a look at the EIA. I'm really sorry. It's a very long document. Maybe have a look at the, the, the executive summary. Yeah. There's thousands of pages in it. Um, but yes, it is open to the public. So I would say to people, Go and have a look at it. Make your comments. Use your make your voice known. Okay. And Reefcheck is also running a petition. Am I correct uh, on Change.org uh, to oppose this proposed new development? Uh, already nine hundred and ninety-three signatures. As I'm talking to you right now, uh, out of a thousand already. And what are you guys calling for? I mean, this is of course another way the public can get involved, right? It is, and and it's it's much the same message I'm, I'm already giving. Let's. <sighs> The process so far of conducting the EIA, it kind of goes on behind the scenes. Mm. And although there was a social impact assessment has been done, that that document's not made public, um, how much conversation has there really been about, you know, the the, the impact of this thing, both the construction phase and the future uh, during during operations? Um, How does it fit into the national tourism strategy? We know, for example, that the the, the local plan for Tierman shows that an airport... So it, it makes provision for an airport. It doesn't say you have to build one, but it makes provision for one. Okay. And that was written some years ago. Um, the National Transport Plan has provision for an airport on written some years ago. In the last 10 years, people's thinking on biodiversity has changed, on conservation has changed, on tourism has changed. Just because it says in the plan there's provision for it doesn't mean we have to do it. Mm-hmm. It's a provision for. And I think it's some of these questions that we need to be asking 
looking a little more long term. We just signed the Convention on Biodiversity's uh, post-2020 Global Biodiversity Framework, which talks about protecting 30% of global ecosystems by the year 2030. That's seven years away, which is, by the way, the handover date for this airport. Um, we talk about, in, in, that, in that convention, we talk about restoring 30% of our ecosystems, protecting 30% of our ecosystems. We talk about improving the role of local communities in decision-making and management of our ecosystems. We talk about slowing the loss of biodiversity. We just signed this a year ago. So, you know, let's review those older plans about airports and special plans and transportation strategies and say, hmm, you know, in light of current changes in the world and things that we're talking about, people are, are concerned about, um, maybe we should review this thing and say, okay, airport, yes, but let's have a strategy for managing tourism beyond that. Just for example, or airport, no, use the existing landing strip, extend that and bring in smaller aeroplanes. Mm -hmm. I just I just had to go to the air, uh, island recently. I flew in for the first time in a long time. We used to joke that the, the four-seater, the four-engine uh, Dash 7s that used to fly in last time, they would get quite close to the forest and then, you know, turn right and quickly land. <laughs> this little aeroplane I flew in on, my goodness me, I swear I could almost touch the trees. Oh, so it's very exciting. <laughs> yep, yep, it's sounds, great. Yeah. Um, and let's just go back to the transport thing. I was talking with some friends about just this just the other day. Why do we need an airport on Tierman? Well, from KL, it's it's not too difficult to get to. It's three, four hours to Mersing. You wait around for boats, two hours on the boat. You're there in six, eight hours. Okay. But what about tourists coming internationally? And that's the people who want to be visiting these islands, right? Mm -hmm. They fly into KL. All right, they get to KLIA. They have to transfer to KL. They've got to find BTS. They've got to get the bus. Oh, didn't bus, but didn't get a bus, bus ticket in advance, sir. Very sorry. You'll have to wait for the next bus. They get across the peninsula to Mersing. Didn't book your boat ticket in advance, sir. Very sorry. And so on and so on and so on. So it takes them such a long time. Now they've got a wife, two children, four suitcases going through all of that. That's mm -hmm. tough. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, tourism needs connectivity. Can we find a way to make that process easier? Yeah, we'll fly people in. Okay, how are we going to get them there? What's the runway going to? So all of those questions. Yes, we need that. I get it. But is this is this project the right way to go about it? Mm -hmm. Is this the project for this particular island as well? Right. Yes. That's yeah. the other question. Okay. Well. Julian, well, I mean, okay, so folks, you know, do uh, go and read that EIA and uh, do give your uh, thoughts on it. Uh, you can also sign the petition at change.org. So that's, uh, you just search for Oppose Proposed New Tioman Airport. Uh, you'll find the information there. And if you'd like to find out more about the work that ReefCheck does, just head to their website. That's reefcheck.org.my or follow them on all their socials. Julian, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Any, any final message or any concluding message you'd like to leave to our listeners today? <sighs> Let's make sure we're doing the right thing for sustainability of the island and its ecosystems. Okay. Couldn't have put it better myself. My thanks to Julian Hyde, the General Manager of ReefCheck Malaysia. We were talking about the impacts that a new airport on Pulau Tioman, a new international airport on Pulau Tioman might have on the island. If you missed any part of our conversation today, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my slash earth. You can also find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.